Don't believe the hype. Read the type. This is Type Beast. Take a look. It's in a book. It's Type Beast, baby. Man, I've been looking forward to this one. Yes, yes. Uh, so have I. Uh, we're going to be jumping in to My Choice by Dr. Julie Panessi. The Ethical Case Against COVID-19 Vaccine Mandates. Okay. And so for the listeners who is probably thinking, why are we excited? Well, we've had her on the show before. And hopefully we'll have her again. Uh, hopefully, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, um, we we did an episode with her, and then we did um, a, a recap, and then we had a part two. And now right. she released a book a couple weeks after that part two came out, I believe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and got my nice crisp copy in my hand. It's uh, I think you know, for being what's the main. The main book, not including appendices, is mm-hmm. 93 pages. And I would say for 93 pages, it was pretty substantive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, the there some of the chapters, like, I don't know, I'm a nerd. So I like wrote down to the very beginning, like, okay, how long is each chapter? And like the first two chapters, I would argue rightfully so, she made shorter. And the later chapters, she made longer um, as a means that the focus was in the right place, I think is not, not to say that those chapters aren't important, but hashing out the ideas, you know, three through chapters, so chapters three through six, much more meaty, also way longer than the first two. Yeah. Well, what were your first uh, initial thoughts? My first thoughts were regarding, you know, the, obviously as, as I started reading, um, there was just stuff in the first two chapters that I was surprised by. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, and, and just meaning, you know, we had her on the show. I think a lot of what she covered in chapters one and two about herself was we, we discussed. But there were still some nuggets in there that I didn't necessarily see coming or expect. Um, the first the one where there's a quote here where I, I just really, really like this perspective. Um, and I, I would say. Our conversation with her, this statement isn't surprising based on that, but at the same time, it wouldn't have been surprising if she didn't say this at the same. So the statement is, um, she's referring to her best friend and, and she says that my best friend is the epitome of a free thinker, an artist and a writer. And she said, we are both quite comfortable living in a vast open space of gray as opposed to black and white. And I think that statement relates very much to the persona that we see in that willingness to wrestle with these tough questions that, I don't know, is different than the way we see with the public today. Like just in terms of all of this stuff that we're going through, so many people want it black and white as opposed to let's wrestle through the gray and deal with the things that we don't really understand or the potential that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that to me, I think, you know, th- that quote sort of references what stood out to me. But I really, I really appreciated just like getting to know her. And then the later chapters when she's quoting different people, you know, just, just gives depth to her ideas as to where some of these thoughts and, and mm-hmm. um, concepts are derived from. Right. Like she, she referenced uh, Immanuel Kant, I think, in the last two chapters, a, a fairly reasonable amount. Nothing, nothing crazy, but what about you? What stood out to you? What, uh, was anything peculiar or unexpected? Uh, not necessarily. I was just, um, looking for more answers. And I think that's what I was more, I was excited about jumping into it just to see how she formulated uh, her ethical arguments. Because for me, you know, I see there's something wrong, but I can't put my finger on it. Mm. And that's why I, I enjoyed my conversations with her on, on the ethical issue. Um, and so, you know, I was really looking forward to getting some questions answered. And, and I think I did. I, th- I think I did get some um, questions answered. So, yeah, we'll definitely um, get to jump into that. All right. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through um, the book, of course, because this is type beast. That's what we do. 
Chapter one is called Out of a Job. Chapter, sorry, chapter one is called Out of a Job. Chapter two is About Me. Chapter three, Choice and Consequence. Chapter four is The Pandemic Response Ethical. Chapter five, A Way Forward. And chapter six, Do Not Go Gently. Uh oh. Um, so, I, what is your, I, I think we both agree for the most part, chapters one and two. Not exclusively, but for the a lot of it was covered in our conversation with her previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just again, you know, if you know a little bit about her, um, in terms of her story, then I think there's some added context, right? Like she puts the letter from her school in here, and and, and there's you know some good content that hashes out a little bit more depth. Um, but we don't want to give away the whole book. Um, so so I think we'll leave most of chapters one and two uh, for the the listener to read for themselves. Um, and I, and where I quoted from earlier about the, uh, black and white gray stuff, um, was from chapter two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I will, I will add this, uh, you know, for me, uh, one of the things I was also looking at as I was reading was looking for problems and reasons to disagree. Mm. Uh, yeah. Did you I find it? That. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see but but the point is um i'm reading it to see if i could find anything wrong with her ethical arguments um because that's the way i think um like i can't i have to be critical so i can get the most out of the book that's not to say i'm assuming that she's wrong or or that um you know for me the, the approach that I, that I i tried to take was like okay look you know there's points where where I would agree, but I want to make sure that um, I'm still being critical and not being lackadaisical because I agree with the person. So that was kind of the posture I took with, with reading it, trying to find the problems in it and arguing against it. No, I think, that, I think that's good. I think uh, I would agree. I think I read, like, it's funny you, you were wording it that way. Like, you look for problems. I think, I, I don't know if that's true for me or not, but I know that I'm like just the way that I operate. I'm sort of constantly analyzing. Um, and so I did say, I'll say there's one part or one section uh, when she was talking about democracy and, and some of the, you know, that stuff that I was, there was a bit of tension that I was wrestling through to be like, okay, where would I disagree with her here? Right. Like, especially with my libertarian leanings, um, you know, just, in a sense, I think it's similar to what you said, but but at the same time, different. Um, mm. so. Good, good. Okay, so what were your takeaways from chapter three, choice and consequence? Um, so I think in chapter three, um, one of the parts way through, I wrote, so she talks about cancel culture or whatever. And I wrote, she didn't use this terminology, but I sort of wrote it. Mob bullying is considered a virtue with a question mark. Mm. Um, and and she's just talking about some of her interactions on Twitter and again stuff that I didn't know or didn't see and I just appreciated sort of her commentary on that stuff but really I think the thing that stood out for me in chapter three was was her reflection on academia her own role in academia and sort of um, a continual trend for her to be like this is no longer the place for me but I, I what I'm unsure on is how much did she see that perspective of like is this really the place for me while she was still there right how much of this is a reflection after leaving that you know the I don't know what the right word is but like sort of the utopian aspect of like oh this is my job this is my career I'm going to do this for the rest of my life you know you don't want to overly be overly critical because you're like well I'm not going to make a change so why would I want to be a grouch about my job? So my my question was like, how much of that came post versus how much of these thoughts were were lingering and something she was wrestling with, or how I should say how much she was wrestling with it pre um, all of this. Like so, 2019, 2018. Um, you know, was she having somewhat of doubts or not? And and I would be surprised if she didn't. But the question is, how much was she willing to engage those ideas because of? what I said before. If you think that's going to be your career, you're not going anywhere. You don't have an interest in going anywhere. You're just going to 
yeah, okay, nope, this is my, you know, you, you want to put those thoughts away because you're going to potentially become disgruntled going to work every day. I do have another another thought, but I got to find the quote. So what about you? What uh, What is your take from choice and consequences or consequences? Uh, yeah, no, it, it was, uh, I found a couple of nuggets that I, that I found helpful. Uh, so one of the takeaways that I found what, that I thought was, um, ethics professors are not experts on ethics. God is. And so that was one of, one of my observations from it that, uh, a lot of times, you know, we're looking at these people and she was looking at these people, um, and assuming that, okay, well you study ethics, so you should be able to, um, not just have the right answers. She wasn't saying that, but just deal graciously mm. with with each other. And and when she was under fire, um, it wasn't necessarily that people were bad talking her, but that there was just nobody nobody reached out. Not even you know nobody was really like reaching out to her. It was just silence, um, mm-hmm. right? And so, and so you know, courage and bravery is part of being ethical. So it, it just occurred to me, I was just like, yeah, here we are learning ethics from, you know, fallen men. Um, <laughs> and you know what I mean? And, and, and them trying to teach us about what, what's right and wrong. Um, so it was just one of those reminders that, yeah, you got to you gotta um, go back um, to the d- divine moral law giver and see what's going on um, or what, what's, what's right and wrong to discern what's going on in the culture. Uh, and another point that I took away that I thought was encouraging was uh, she gave the definition of what um, it means to be um, a professor. <laughs> I laughed because right? so, that was the quote section I was sort of looking to find. So Yeah. And so uh, she says, it is striking to me that the word professor is related to the Latin, um, related to the uh, Latin for declare openly testify voluntarily, acknowledge, and take a vow. A professor isn't someone who just reads, researches, publishes, runs the occasional lecture or seminar, but someone who is willing to declare publicly her findings and opinions, discuss them um, with others, and when required, live these principles even when doing so is inconvenient or worse comes with the greatest risks. Mm. And I was like, ooh. I was like, ooh, I like that. Yeah, no, I got I, that that section is uh full of highlights on my end. So, uh, mm-hmm. I would agree. I actually wrote at the very end the last sentence. So the last section where you were talking about uh living and comes mm-hmm. like uh required to live these principles. I don't know if this is totally right, but I wrote I put rabbi there. Because of uh-huh. the nature of rabbinical teaching and sort of like, you know, use Jesus as the example, right? Disciples walk with them. Um, and so, yeah, just that that sort of made me think of rabbi. I don't know if it's a good or a relevant, totally irrelevant comparison. Um, but but mm-hmm. I agree that this really did stand out as not just the definition, but she's also drawing the contrast with how we do, like, she doesn't say pro- it explicitly. Professors are not acting. Yes. <laughs> professors are not acting no, like professors. And, and <laughs> she's like, a professor isn't someone who just, and she describes essentially what we have as professors today. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. This is, for the most part, this is what they do. They read, yeah. publish, research, and run occasional seminars. And give you a failing mark <laughs> in English. Um, also, uh, I, um, I quoted her and and um i posted a tweet today um on a simple sentence in this chapter and i posted the book and uh tagged her in it but th- this one simple quote like really spoke to me and she says this i want to be clear that i didn't make my decision knowing i had a soft place to land and i thought that was good because you know you know she's talking about how she blew up you know when she posted her video and you know everybody got you know social media caught wind of the story and she went viral um and and you know all these opportunities started opening up for her and which is great you know because now you know you, you know you're, you're really your your her job now really has a call to it 
um, in real, not to say that her work pr previously wasn't, didn't have meaning, but now she, uh, the, the work that she's doing is a lot weightier. And with that comes, you know, notoriety and people like the notoriety. They want to blow up. They want to be known for doing something important. Mm -hmm. But what she says is like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you see me on the video. True. Right. But um, she didn't plan for that. She didn't know when she told them no. She didn't know what the outcome was going to be, right? So I, I and I, and and I put in the um, caption in the tweet. You know, now this is what I this is this is courageous. This is what I call courageous. This is courageous. What she did, right? Mm -hmm. Irrespective of if you, if you don't agree with her or, or not, you have to respect those people who will um, who who stand up for what they believe in and are willing to um, sacrifice sacrifice take a l mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. so so she 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 took the sacrifice and and it paid off so i thought that was big yeah well and and i mean we don't know like what does paid off mean right like we're talking about i'm assuming i, I could be wrong here but i'm assuming she's a tenured professor she's you know essentially sort of got her life's trajectory sort of planned out and now you're having to you know, course correct. Now, uh, she, I would assume, the reason why I said, you know, sort of push back a little bit is I'm assuming she's still continually operating in a sense of, I don't know what the future holds. Yes, yes, of course. Right? There's, there's still a lot of ambiguity for her. I mean, obviously she got this, let's say she got a book deal or she got paid to produce <laughs> she got a this book. book. Deal. I don't know. I, she's like, part of Think Tank. She's part of yeah. Think Tank. Well, no, I mean, because so I, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> this book was was uh yeah the democracy fund is on the 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 banner or on the the bind whatever spine. it's called the spine that's it. so you know what's her partnership with them this is what i just say she's got a book deal right so one way or another you know she she's gonna she had a an employment scenario uh and and she continues to work with the democracy fund so in the immediate future she has let's call it income job work but there's still like you know, what does two years look like? Two years from now, look like for her. Mm -hmm. well, and, well, well. Actually, she said she said that she, you know, she she gladly all this come to an end and all the notoriety go away, and she can just go back to a simple life of teaching. Mm -hmm. But so the reason why I really wanted to focus on that part of this chapter that you quoted was because later in the chapter, there's two things that really stood out to me, and one was she said. I'm still in touch with other academ academics who tell me they rarely, if ever, have stimulate engaging conversations, not even a freeish exchange of ideas. And the, re the, the relevance there is, like, this is what is supposed to happen in academia. Like, truly, this is the purpose of academia, right? Is to challenge our thoughts, to learn, to grow. and and academia has become indoctrination. And, and to me, this is sort of a demonstration of it because it's not about challenging ideas, not about having conversations about, well, how, what about this? Or what about that? Or how does this reconcile to these ideas? Which I would suggest is the type of thing that we try to do. And in, in maybe sometimes in more so in preparation for the podcast, but also maybe I would hope that the way we engage with these ideas is that we're causing other people to do it as well, right? To to have um, stimulating, engaging conversations, a free exchange of ideas. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we we got to step up our game a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just um, it's it's sad because it also represents you know, what our academics institutions have become. And then late, late in the chapter, she says, cool. um, and I think this is in terms of, sorry. So this is what she says. Quite apart from the circumstances of my own break from academia, I can't see myself ever returning, not in a formal sense, at least. Um, and so, yeah, I just thought, as much as you know what you said she also said what what you said which was you know to to 
she would like to just shy away and not have notoriety and go back to her simple life of teaching and, and, you know, time with her daughter. Yeah. Yep. Um, she also says, I can't see myself returning. And that's where I asked, that's why I sort of asked earlier. I'm curious about how much of her thoughts on academia are hindsight versus actually what she was, you know, feeling or experiencing in 2018 or 2017. Um, so mm-hmm. hopefully I remember when, when she comes back on the show and, and maybe that'll be start of our start of our conversation. Yeah. Um, chapter four uh, is the pandemic response ethical. Now, I thought this was like the apex of the book hmm. um, in regards to like really getting to the meat and practical, um, practical ethics. Uh, yeah, yeah, practical ethics. Yeah, of 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 the COVID situation, and and I and I thought she she does an excellent job in in framing the ethical arg- argument. So I really. I really jumped into um, this section, and and to the listeners, I would definitely say that um, you know it's worth it, it, this this chapter alone makes it worth the purchase and the read, mm-hmm. um, and just going through the different arguments and things that I didn't even know. I was just like, wait, what? I was like, wait, what? You know, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and again, now again, like I said, like part of me, you know, I don't want to get overly excited, um, because this is just one perspective. Um, that I can got to compare to another perspective, but um, it's it's definitely um ideas I haven't heard before, in compared to the to the common narrative that we hear today. But what were some of your takeaways from chapter four? Um, I think there's, I think you're right. Like, there's a lot of meat here. I feel like this is probably the the chapter she has the most footnotes on. Did the most sort of you know, referencing or research or, you know, I, I think this is probably the hardest chapter to write in the book because it was the little less commentary, a little less opinion and more trying to present the case. Like, so I, I love that she has all these like subtitles or, or bolded sections as headers <laughs> um, because it really sort of demonstrates there's a whole bunch of areas you need to evaluate the ethical response, right? And um, I mean, I can list a couple of them just for the, the audience. Again, I don't want to give away too much of her book because I think, as you said, this is sort of the, the price of admission or worth the price of admission. But um, morbidity and mortality, uh, availability of effective approved treatment options, whether the vaccine is sterilizing. Uh, risk benefit profile, disproportionate harms, risk assessment, risk and experimentation, integrity of process, conflicts of interest versus bias, regulatory capture. Um, she gives some examples of of alternative cases that that you know you can analyze a similar uh, ethical dilemma or or I'll say failures by regulatory bodies that lead to consequences that sort of give you co- reason to pause that maybe the uh, public health experts don't always know better. So yeah, I think, I think the examples along with her analysis uh, just make this a really, a, you know, almost a mini essay or mini argument this chapter um, and, and answering a particular question, right? Is the pandemic, pandemic response ethical? Um, is there any particular argument you found either surprising or or stronger maybe than you expected uh well stronger than what i expected uh <laughs> um i would say enlightening uh like edifying in the sense that i was built up uh cuz i didn't realize the the these subtle nuances so for example um page 36 she says uh the ethics of the global covid-19 response are largely the ethics of public health Mm. at its core public health is concerned with promoting and protecting the health of populations and so i have a footnote here and i put like okay so this is a great start to the to the ethics discussion because i was kind of i couldn't find my footing on what what was going on ethically because you know Mm. as a christian right like i said before like you know 
we wrote the book or God wrote the book on ethics and morality. And so when watching how people are conducting themselves um, in light of um, COVID-19, you're kind of like, okay, I can't put my finger on it, but something seems off or is this right? Is this morally right what we're doing? And so I, I love how she just, you know, you know, really nailed it down and said, okay, well, the issue is ethics of public health. And then um, to, to, to so, clarify, sorry, was, hold on. And, and, okay. and to clarify that, she says, um, what is important to understand is that public health ethics is a balancing act. It is almost invitable that, that public health policies will come at the cost of some personal rights and freedoms. The challenge is to determine when those limitations are justified and when they go too far. And, and later in the chapter, I think she summarizes essentially what you've said, a really good question. Um, so this is the bottom of page 36. How much can we ask people to sacrifice in order to achieve public health? And what threshold must be met in order to justify limitations on our pub private choices? Um, I, I think, I think you, you did a good job of highlighting that this, you know, ethical question is something of importance but if you do you think our public health officials and politicians have engaged with this in any regard uh i i i would say they don't have to why um because they're well on the surface and then you know i don't want to misrepresent them but they're they're doing what they believe is best for for the public and they don't have to right? answer for four no years. no like like technically like like these ideas are irrelevant <laughs> like right like the little guy is irrelevant the individual is irrelevant mm. right and which is interesting actually this is interesting um because i say that the little guys are irrelevant the unvaxxed are irrelevant but technically that's not true right because when we look at social justice when we look at lgbtq2 plus right those guys are minorities right and they're treated like majority right <laughs> right yeah. people are treated like majority right like you got to make space for black people right you got to make skate you got to make space for females you got to make space right there's space for those people so the point i'm making is that it is still possible i think that that shows us that um you know it's a it, even though the uh, non-vaxxed are marginalized and they're the minority, um, it's still possible for for them to rise up and mm. and, and 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 get what they want, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or push back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Push back and 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 find and find their own space. But that's just me thinking it through. Mm -hmm. No, no, I think I think that's good. I think that's really good. Yeah. Um, also, the the idea of um, non-maleficence. I think it's malfeasance. Malfeasance, yeah, yeah. Sorry, mal, non-malfeasance. Every time I say right? that word, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I was asking Tyro. I was asking Tyro a couple of times. I'm like, wait, what is that? Malfeasance. <laughs> and so, um, so the idea is that, um, it's it's part of the the Hippocratic oath. And so, what it means is that, um, first, do no harm. So this is the oath that that nurses, doctors, care, um, healthcare people take to to vow to take an oath that they will do no harm. And so and so she's now she's making the argument like, okay, you know what? In some cases, if we're if we're if we're looking at this this um, core ethical principle of malfeasance, um, maybe it is justified to 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 mandate vaccines for people in, in healthcare. Right. Um, and, and but then um, the flip side is, but what if the vaccine that's supposed to help them from doing harm to others? So the harm that a nurse would bring to a patient is that they can pass on the vaccine. So that would be bringing harm to them. So so that they don't bring harm to the patient, they should get vaccinated. OK, so they're fulfilling malfeasance. but. What if the vaccine does harm 
to the nurse. Mm-hmm. Right? Then the idea of malfeasance is, I could be wrong, is is negated. It's 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 disqualified. But I I, I thought I thought I thought this um her walking through the steps of different angles on this ethical issue was pretty fascinating and 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 it also taught me not to be as heavy-handed in 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 navigating these things because there's a lot of nuance it isn't necessarily as simple as black and white but definitely mm-hmm. shades of gray mhm mhm no and and i think that's a a fair point um and and unfortunately you know the conversation about that and i would say should be happening in public for people to sit on both sides comfortably but unfortunately these conversations are happening off of youtube because it's not allowed (laughs) but yeah anyways um is there anything else in this chapter that uh that stood out to you hi i'm darnell samuels you may remember me from such podcasts as Thanks, Coach, and the Sixth Sense Report. When Joel and I are not studying for the next episode, we're paying bills for hosting and production. If you want to help us out, you can make a donation of any amount by clicking the Buy Me a Coffee link in the show notes. If you broke, don't worry about it. You can subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast catcher. If you did this already, then you can share the show with a friend. Joel, Jeezy, and I appreciate your support. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Oh yeah, 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 man. This this chapter was jam packed, and you know what? I'm definitely, I definitely got to come back to it and go through it again, and and wrestle with the ideas. And as a read, like if we're talking about as a read in general. I I definitely took I took to it because it reminds me of um again like like almost like the way how my mind works it's always step by step and so she'll say okay look here's one situation now let's look at the different angles and which way it can go and so for me I got to sit back and really think through what that actually looks like and talk about it um so I can actually think about it and what it really looks like for it to play out because these are still new ideas to me. So I, I really en- I really enjoyed this chapter. There was a lot of different angles and, and points of discussion. Um uh, yeah, it was it was really good. Um one of the things that that um that I thought was um pretty interesting was um page 39, the fathers of a of American bioethics, Tom um Beauchamp and James Childress assert that autonomy is undermined by coercion, persuasion, and manipulation. Mm-hmm. So to I make have that a volu- underlined too. Oh, you do? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so to make <laughs> to make a voluntary choice is at minimum to do what you would do in the absence of coercion, persuasion, or manipulation. And so uh um I, I have in the footnotes, I have my own little things here. And I, when I read that, I was like, oh, this reminds me of conver- conversion therapy. Bill C4. Bill C4, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? So I was like, oh, this that sounds like Bill C4, um, but on the opposite end, but not actually applying it, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like negating it, right? Yeah, the very what thing they're this? concerned about, they're doing the opposite. Yeah, they're doing the opposite. I was like, what? <laughs> and then um, I have um, also, uh, I have the word, uh, tampering, just as one of the words I think of, and another word I I have here, um, bullying. Mm. I have the word bullying, right? So, and then I was just thinking in my head, I was like, okay, you know, people are like, okay, you know, you know, your choice, you know, I don't know, people say, you know, your choice, and you know, it's your fault, it's your choice, right? You know, if you wanna, if if you don't want to get vaccinated, then it's your choice. You lose your job. Right, so forth. You hear you hear those kind of, you know, those kind of phrases being thrown around. And I thought to myself, and I was like, you know what? Uh, what if a bully comes and says, you know, give me your lunch money, or I'm gonna punch you in your face, right? You and, made a choice, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So we so you hand the bully the money. You're like, all right, okay. Well, so what happened to your money? Oh, um, 
<laughs> I gave it to the bully. But then you'd be like, well, no, he stole it. Mm. But no, you gave it to him. Mm. Right? And, and, and it was that ethical dilemma I thought to myself. I'm like, wait a minute, but the coercion yeah. idea, we have to be able to identify what that is and when it happens and that it doesn't, you, when you make a choice under um, co- coercion, um, it's no longer a free choice. Mm. Yeah, I, you know what? I actually have like a star at the end of the chapter. And I don't think this, you know, ruins the chapter in any regard, but it relates, you know, this is page 57 and you were quoting about this on, on page, about autonomy. I think you said page 39, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah, 39. So she says, we ought to respect autonomy for two reasons. One, it is the individual alone who will have to bear the consequences of her medical choices or choices in general. And two, there is value in having the space to shape and be the author of one's own life, even if someone else could have written the chapters of that life better. And I think the, the reason that this is, you know, I started it was because the first one is something I talk about all the time in respect to economics and libertarianism, right? Like, who will spend. Who was most concerned about your, you? Nobody can be more concerned about you than you. And so who's going to make the best choices for you is, is the person who's most informed to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I found you know, that uh, I thought it was sort of a good, even though it's the end of the chapter, it, it very much relates to the point you just brought up. So, yeah. You know what? I, I think you will agree with me. <laughs> We could do a whole show on chapter four. <laughs> yeah, I know. We we could keep going, man. The, again, the amount of underlines. Uh, it's... I, yeah, no, my my chapter four is like all written up. Like I got a whole bunch of commentary uh, 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 in the margins, folded pages, <laughs> circled words. Yeah, it's yeah. a mess. It's a yeah. mess. So yeah, <laughs> so. that's good. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, yeah. Maybe uh, if we get her back on the show, you can uh, tweet out a, a screenshot of how. Uh, yeah. How much you've marked up her book. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but so okay, now now this is something that means a lot to me. Um when especially when we do the show, um, I think it's always important to not just hang out and talk about the problems, all the doom and gloom, um, but also look at um opportunities for hope, opportunities for change. And so chapter five, a way forward. What were some of your takeaways from from chapter five? I think for me, the biggest takeaway was um, stuff, the, the content around um, experts and um, society's sort of perspective, um, let's say on, you know, even like she has a comment here, science is almost never settled, right? And, and very much we see this like, whether it's climate change, 97% of the scientists agree Yes, because consensus is how we decide science. Um, so I, I thought that, uh, I'm just trying to find the quote here, the, the stuff regarding experts. So this is uh, page 61. And, and much like the professor, she sort of defines what an expert is. And, and so I'm going to read this paragraph here. So now let's look at each other of those prescriptions individually, starting with experts and expertise. So the word expert comes from the Latin expertise, meaning tried, proved, known by experience. The roots are interesting. Peritus means experienced, tested, a suffix form of the root per to try risk or risk. There is a connection to the idea that an expert is someone who is or has tested or been tested or is willing to try or risk. Mm. There is, therefore, a sense of creativity or imagination, or at least openness in the notion of being an expert. Also, it is interesting in the 15th century sense of an expert as a person wise through experience. And so then the very next paragraph starts with the question, is that, is this how we conceive of experts today? 
Mm. Yeah, and, and I have that underlined as well. You know, she goes on to define, you know, the next paragraph talks about subject matter experts. I think when I was reading that, I was like, she wrote SMEs in here too. I'm like, is this Darnell, you know, words? From huh? Did you, foot, up did you the- footnote me? Have I footnoted? <laughs> Podcast the- on this day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's so good. But yeah, so here's the, this is the way she, she says today. Um, experts today are seen as people with extremely specialized knowledge that makes them authorities on matters pertaining to their specialty. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, again, she asks the question later, but where is the wisdom? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've heard, for example, you know, all the doctors that are promoting early treatments in this world that we live in are the ones that are actually treating doctors. Or sorry, are doctors that are actually treating patients mm-hmm. versus yes. your public health officials who haven't seen a patient in maybe their whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. And and I'd also add like, you know, it's funny you said that like, and she's like, okay, well, where's the wisdom? And, you know, people like to say, you know, knowledge is power. And then I would graciously, humbly correct them and say, no, knowledge is not power. Wisdom is power because mm-hmm. wisdom is the application of knowledge. And wisdom comes from the fear of God. That is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So it's not enough to be um, smart. You, you need to be wise and know how to apply what you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then just a, a little bit later, she has this one more line that I think sort of summarizes all of it. Worse, we treat words like science and experts as synonyms for perfection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's right? an ethical, and, and that's an ethical concept there. Well, it's also a potentially a logical, and we talked about this with her, the logical fallacy of appeal to authority, right? So because we see mm-hmm. the expert or science as perfection, we can appeal to it because it's authoritative, mm-hmm. it's perfect. But that's not true, right? Like as I read earlier, she wrote the sentence, but science is almost never settled. We we know this, right? Like. People used to think the earth was flat. Well, I guess some people still do. But, um, you know, you've, you've got ideas and concepts. I mean, if you're, you're born in, you know, my era, when I was in grade nine, the direction of electrons changed direction. No, they didn't actually change direction. But the consensus from a scientific perspective realized that they were wrong and they had to change. To go, oh, actually, if all of our you know physics formulas, we need to change this or or rules or whatever. You had to change all those things to represent the truth that they were misrepresenting in the past. And and I I don't know. I always I always go back to that example. I've, I've probably brought it up on the show before um, because to me it just demonstrates perfectly that we cannot hold on to these things with a closed hand and just pretend like. Oh, obviously, this is perfect because the scientist said so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my takeaways from this chapter, um, and 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 these the these points are pretty simple but practical application points because I think application is very important after going through a whole lot of uh, technical stuff and philosophical stuff. It's good to get into the practical. So and just so says, um, before you list them. Um, and I don't think we mentioned it just yet, but this chapter, chapter five, is a focus on sort of how does the society as a whole move forward. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what I was mentioning was with regard to experts, science, essentially that culturally, societal-wise, we need to have a different perspective and put them in, let's call it the proper perspective. Um, so, sorry, go ahead um, with your yeah. And so, and so she says um, we need to we need to be. Uh, become committed skeptics when it comes to some key concepts and towards important con- constructs and institutions uh, that affect our lives daily. So um, one of them is um, we must become more skeptical of our concepts of experts and expertise. We must become more skeptical of academia. We must become more skeptical of media. We must become more skeptical of government, and and, and mind you, she, she she breaks down what 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 these things are and how you do that, and then above all, we must become more skeptical of consensus 
or the wisdom of the masses. Mm. Yeah, so that was that was kind of my my takeaway, and I thought those were good, good practical um, steps to Im- improvement um, and um, getting better. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think um, you know she makes a uh, the other thing I think she points out well is that. The idea of like central planning and and the this sort of you know people's expectation like oh the government official can make the right decision she has this great line to have that kind of expertise that can take all relevant factors into account you'd have to be a polymath someone along the lines of an aristotle a leonardo a ben franklin i don't know if we have any of those Sorry, I don't well, know if any of those exist today. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'd, I'd like to give a little pushback on that point. Um, you would have to be God <laughs> to be able to take into account all oh. the, the, the nuances of how the economy works and then to implement a policy that, that would affect everything the right way. And so because these bureaucrats are not God, um, or uh, what was the word you used? Polymath. A polymath, right? Um, they're one dimension. These guys, you know, the bureaucrats that we work SMEs, with, one dimensional. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> a good, a good cover, maybe. But, <laughs> but, but, it, yeah, but it, it's funny how. Um, um, what's that quote from Shobraka? Um, We're happy to preach resistance, then turn around and ask Pharaoh for his assistance. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, this, this, the reason why that quote stands out to me is because, again, it goes back to economics, right? The, the concept of the invisible hand is, you know, Adam Smith. It's this, you know, let's call it legacy principle. But really, the underlying idea is that when everybody is operating in their own self-interest, that acts as a correcting mechanism to the person who is overly self-interested. Such that, oh, I'm willing to violate someone else's rights. Well, the, the self-interested person who you're violating has a reason to prevent you, whether by you know the court systems or, or themselves. Or think of it in, in contractual you know, uh, commerce scenarios. I'm going to negotiate a lower price to prevent you from potentially taking advantage of me if I think you're charging too much. Right, my my own self interest in paying less is a correcting mechanism to your self interest to receiving more. And and so, I, I think maybe this was an example of, I would even argue, the poly, even a polymath doesn't have the capacity in their brain to have everything that's relevant, as you pointed out, because they're not God. Right, right, right. But yeah, that's good. and and. I would say the polymath exceeds in pockets where there's a collection of, you know, ideas, but not across everything where we see with government, right? The government makes a policy decision that affects everybody across the country. Oh, shut down, go home, stay home for two years. I mean, two weeks to flatten the curve. And, and uh, you know, the problem or, or what I would say the free market response, we actually saw it. People saw it in action and they don't even realize it when the pandemic, at least this happened in Toronto or, or I should say in greater Toronto area where I am, um, grocery stores started creating seniors hour at the beginning of the day, i.e. the most high risk customers were allowed to shop exclusively at the cleanliest time of the day. That wasn't mandated. In fact, when all the mandates showed up, those things stopped. Because, well, I don't have to. Everybody's masked and we know that works. So the seniors can now come back to the store when everybody else is there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what that example I gave you is individual pockets responding to the incentives of their customer to serve their customers better. And there's no ability for the politicians to go, oh, every single store has seniors hour at the beginning of the day because it doesn't even make sense for some stores. They don't have seniors as customers. 
Right, right. That's good. Yeah. Well, uh, last chapter, chapter six. Do I think not it's go do, gently. And I think it started perfectly. Right? Like the way she starts that chapter is I wanted to say, use the word humble, but humble is not quite the right word. But the reason I, I say that is so the chapter starts with I'll read the first uh, couple sentences. After a speech I gave recently, a man from the audience approached me for a conversation. I heard everything you have to say, he said. I agree with you, but what should I do tomorrow? She, her response is, it's a good question, a perfect question, in fact. I should have expected it. And her response was like, I'm not sure. And, and I would argue that the, that question probably is what led to this chapter because it because she didn't have an answer for the guy, she probably sat there pondering the answer, probably the night after or you know, following um, before the next talk. So in case she got asked the question again, she'd have something to say. <laughs> but, but I think that question is something too many people are relying on other people to answer. And it's probably why we find ourselves in this place. Yeah. Oh. And and arguably that's what what this chapter is about, right? What what should you do? Complying and going along till 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 it's over, till things go back to normal. Getting your seventy fifth booster so things will go back to normal is is not an example of doing something. It's not. Um. Well, I mean, it's not it's not an example of doing something to affect change. You're just, you know, trying to push a pause button and, and, you know, on life and hope that we can get to the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and hey, I mean, you know, I'll have a little bit of grace that, like, I get, you know, some people. Because everybody's situation is different, right? Like, you can, you know, you might not like what's going on, but because of your living situation, you'll have to get vaccinated, right? Um, yeah, yes and no. Uh-oh. I mean, to some at some point you always have a choice, and choosing to comply is a choice. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't disagree that some people may be financially in a place where they don't have a choice. And I, I have a friend of mine who that's exactly what happened. I got to pay my mortgage. I, I'm not ready to sell my house and move to another country. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but, but arguably, you've allowed yourself to be in a financial position where that you don't have freedom to choose. And so, your choices over the last five years are part of why you've had to be, you're in the place you're in today that you're like, man, I don't have a choice. And, and I would say, I have grace for that, but I would say, what are you going to do differently? So that next time you're placed with an ethical dilemma, you can make the choice you want to make, not the choice you have to make. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess you know, and and you know, everybody has a particular situation that you know they got to deal with, right? And so, you know, for me, I I don't I don't try to. Um, I don't try to tell people to do what I'm doing mm-hmm. because of my, 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 my particular situation is unique to me um, and I'm able to do certain things. So if you can't do it, right, you got to just do what you can, what you have to do. So I'm not, I'm not heavy handed in that way. Like, okay, well, you know, you're a company man or a cog in the wheel or a pawn for the man. I, I don't really um, bring those kind of talks, but yeah. No, and, and, and I mean, you know, my point is just simply like, if you felt like you couldn't make the decision that you wanted to make, reflect on it. Why? Right. How can you change it so that that's not the case? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to say like, oh, you're, you're, you know, de- delinquent because you put, you put yourself in that position. No, I, right. I would argue society, culture, the financial monetary banking system are all structured 
in such a way that 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 is the natural course that you end up in a place where I can't afford to quit my job, even though it sucks. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but see, but this is, this is, I think, and I don't even just mean is, COVID like in general, like, right. Right. <laughs> but I think this is how she summarizes the, this, this closing chapter. And she, and she, she encourages the reader to be courageous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, you see that word popping up a lot, right? Yep. Choose courage. Um, find the courage to see um, that we are not each other's enemies. Mm-hmm. And we are not mm-hmm. o- alone in our drive to change circumstances for the better. So the, the, the idea of courage and, and being able to uh, think for yourself is, is, is the moral of the story. Um, that everybody, well, not, uh, well, you know what, not everybody can do that. Um, but those people who can do it um, are, are the vehicles of change. And when she was on the show and she, she said something that stuck with me, and she said um, that, you know, change isn't, you know, getting 51% of the population to agree with you, <laughs> right? The change happens at the 10%. Mm. Change happens at the ten percent, and that echoes that 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 echoes back to what I was saying about um, being a minority among a majority, right? Where you know mm-hmm. the social justice movement has taught us that that you know you have a you have a bunch of minority groups who are able to maneuver in a way where they can um, generate a lot of clout, like they're the majority, when statistically. They are like statistically, numerically, uh, demographically, they are a minority. I'm not just saying it because the person is black, but numerically, black people are a minority numerically in Canada. Same with with the gay community, uh, the transgender community, and so forth, right? The indigenous community. Well, there's there's a strong activist component to those communities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and they're affecting change. Yeah, yeah, they, yo, they got a lot of heart. <laughs> they got a lot of heart, and 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 I think um, we're definitely gonna um, look at you know as history unfolds and we're, us being a part of history, which is which I find very exciting. Uh, being a part of history, um, one day I'm gonna tell um, my great great grandkids. I'm like, back in 2020, I was in the midst of it, and I went to England, and they told me not to go, but I went anyways. <laughs> You're like, wow, Grandpa, you're a real hero. <laughs> I had a podcast, <laughs> right? They were like in school because you know, because like, yo, because they'll be reading books about it. They'll be reading books about these things. But, but the point I'm, <laughs> I'm making is that, um, that change comes. Um, you don't need big numbers to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, I'm a, I'm a history teacher, and this is why we love history. This is why we like studying history, right? Um, Martin Luther King's um, Martin Luther King Day was a couple of days ago. That's why we love this guy, right? Um, this is why we love Malcolm and we love all these guys who who went against the odds and went against the system. Uh, Nelson Mandela, right? These guys who went against the system and overcame the system, right? So there, there's always a hope. Um, there's always a hope, and so I, I think, I think. Um, um, Dr. Julie Panessi does that. I think. I think she leaves the reader with a hope. Mm-hmm. Well, and but, you know that that this chapter, right? Like it starts with basically she calls hope. So let me read the sentence. Hope is something I've been thinking about a lot, a, a lot of lately or late. How much we need hope? Why so many appear to have lost hope? And whether hope itself is a civic virtue in our 21st century democracy. And, and she makes the case by civic, vir- you know, goes through the civic virtue conversation. But you know, the, the word hope is, is prominent through this chapter. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I wondered if, you know, her Christian worldview has an, is, is part of the reason why that's the case. Because for us as Christians, hope is a prominent characteristic to the faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and I would also add that, um, like there is, um, 
in, I don't know, in my opinion, I offer, I offer there's two types of hope. There's the eschatological hope where, you know, Christ will return and new heavens, new earth, and we're looking forward to God's judgment. But then also there's practical hope, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's hope that a person can, can be cured from cancer. There's hope that a person can find a job after being laid off. There's, there's hope that slavery will come to an end, that the Holocaust will come to an end. Right, so 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 just like yeah, we hope yes, Christ will. Re- we know hope Christ will return, but also there, there's a practical hope. So we can't stop doing what is right and putting our lives on the line for change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I thought the, you know, where she so later in the chapter, so this is page eighty-seven. She then brings hope. Uh, so she has a sentence: Hope should be the foundation of resilience. And she goes on to talk about resilience requires flexibility and malleability and being adaptable and even malleable prepare us to weather life's storms. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last part that, that sort of really is, is important here is uniformity of thought is a growing presence even off campus with coercion pushing through social media or the heavy hand of government. And the reason I say that is because uniformity is the opposite of what she was just saying. Adaptable, malleable, flexible. And and so, you know, she's tying hope within with those things together. But sort of that, you know, as as um I've I've used this quote with so many people. When we had Nick Hudson on the show, the quote from him that I've that I heard him say was Centralization removes the means for error correction. And and the conformity that she or uniformity that she references here. And and so I think those things those all those characteristics, not so much hope, but the others, all go back to so much of what we talked about before with regards to what I was saying, what we try to do with this show, with this with the conversations we have. The the ideas matter and being able to wrestle in the gray i think requires you to be flexible malleable right a lot of truths you hold with an open palm you know as christians we we know that we hold to that perspective there's a hand, there are some handful of truths we hold to with a closed fist but we know how theological expository type of debates are you need to be willing to be convinced because chances are your fallibility or your your fallible nature is going to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, listeners, what'd you guys think? Let us know. Uh, yo, hit us up if you read the book. Give us your two cents. Or, or if there was anything that um, you had questions about, um, anything that Joel and I said that might have. That might need clarity, or or they even disagree with. Um, that'd be kind of cool. Um, that um, there are people who actually didn't like the book or disagree with us would come on and uh, share their two cents. That'd be really cool. Yeah, and I, I was gonna say even to you know, where we're intending to have her back on the show, and assuming we record that conversation after this episode airs, um, you know, I I'll put the call out there. You know, email us six cents report at gmail to to give us you know any questions you might have for her about the book, um, or or if you really want to get fancy, record yourself, uh, put in the question, and we'll try and put it on the show and and play the recording and and have her answer the question. So, Darnell, what's uh, what do you want to leave? Is there any you know closing comment you want to leave the listener with on this book or or? Yeah, no. Um, I would I would say that. The idea of apologetics is important. Um, so apologetics is uh, is 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 uh, means uh, to defend. So it's a Christian discipline that Christians practice. Um, apologetics, as it's from uh, what is it? Oh man, I can't remember. Um, I think it's from Peter. I'll look it up. Peter, I'll look it up. But um, but the idea is is to be um learn how to defend um, the view that you have um, and so that you're able to 
um, have dialogue with people. So it's so it's from it's from the scripture. So the Bible says, "But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect." First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. And it's the same. It's the same sentiment. Um, for those uh, who who don't want to get vaccinated, uh, right? You have to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have, right? And so part of that is being prepared for those conversations. And I, you know, and I've been talking to a, um, a lot of people who are vaccinated and who aren't. And a lot of times, for those who aren't vaccinated, um, there's definitely an anxiety that comes with, okay, what if somebody asks me? Like, where do you start? Because there's just so many layers to it. Um, how do I respond? But I think that that's that, you know, we ha- you ha- you'd, ha- you'd have to take your responsibility uh, to be able to uh, read up and, and, and speak um, from a perspective of, yeah, just being informed. So, yeah, you definitely have a responsibility to do that. And I think this book will help you prepare to give a defense. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I, I think um, I think you said it well. I think um, I, I'll make a similar sort of plea that or or statement that I think the book does a good job of giving people, you know, those who right. Like, like if we look at chapter four, the one that uh, that we said, you know, we could spend all day on or or do an entire episode on. You know, I think if you, from an apologetics perspective, you know, you can become informed. Now, is this book going to give you all the nuances on those arguments? No, but it's it's going to give you a starting place to have some thoughts on. I listed all the headings that where she really does a breakdown. Some of them are paragraphs, some of them are two, three pages, sort of breaking down. But but it's giving you know for the for the listener who has an opinion on this issue but doesn't quite know how to articulate it. Um, I think the book can one be a tool to potentially give you those if if you're let's say wanting to speak about it, but you just need to become informed. I think the book potentially is a good starting point. But I also think it's um, a potentially a really good a source for hope. If you're, let's say, in the same place as her, making a choice that's cost you something, um, I think the book can, can definitely be a source of hope because the manner in which she discusses it and is both encouraging for those that made the decision, but also empowering for those that that may feel that decisions coming down the road. So let's let us know what you guys think. Give us your two cents. Uh, Gmail six cents report at gmail.com and uh, six cents report. S I X C N T S. Of course, you already know that because you're listening and you know how to spell it. Don't believe the hype, read the type. Madden and Mitchell Media.